0: We're starting in five, four, three, two. So, well, what we had talked about, I think, before we even got on the air, is Al had noticed that I'm wearing frames, which is, that means not even with the lenses, glasses. Did you did you know there's no glass? There's like, that hurts, I can poke through. But you had glasses for yours, for your I personal did. interview. And then you let me in on a little secret that... Uh, you wear fake glasses all the time.
1: I do. Yeah, I feel like it's the only way that you can consistently kind of change up your look. I mean, your face is your face at this point. I mean, you can play around with facial hair uh, or not, but I think glasses kind of look cool. They can be like a statement piece, and it's like, what makes them any different than a hat?
0: These aren't even good glasses. They're kind of dorky, and I think they make me look better. I'm actually thinking about getting some great. glasses um, just to be cooler. Uh, I, I'm becoming Matt Damon in front of you. So well, I, let me I live say, what I want. Let me believe.
1: Live your best life, Frank. I'm all for that. All right. So. All, right. all right, Frames, you ready to get started?
0: Yes, sir.
1: All right. Um, like... I guess before we get started, I, I don't know if, if I have an interviewing style because that would be pretentious and I would hate anybody that talks about their interviewing style. But I kind of want to jump around a little bit just in that um, I think it, it kind of gets you out of like linear thinking sure. and it kind yeah. of, you, you know, just just whatever you're thinking, just say it. Uh, sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, so what you're saying is you didn't like my interview of you at all. You thought it was simplistic and boring.
1: I loved your interview because I like when I went through and like went through with you I was just like what a strange life I've led.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, can you check your microphone again? I'm wondering if it defaulted sure. to the other. It may not have. I just want you to sound the best you can. Nope, we're still good. Okay, cool.
1: So, I'll stay right on top of it. Oh, there it is. Okay.
0: That's much better. Let's just redo everything for the third time now let's do it i have to lean i have to set back i've been in such a driving role for this podcast and a couple other things that i have to let you it's your show this is what i even do when i get on talk shows too i start to take over and that's not that's probably why they don't invite me back anymore
1: (laughs) i'm all for it all right frank well let's get started with a random question how did you propose to your wife
0: she was, uh, in the front row. Well, I'm sorry. She was not, that's the story of how I met my wife. Uh, uh do you want that first or do you want to do? Yes, definitely. Because that was at the Cleveland improv, which ties yes. into you. You're from Cleveland. She's from Cleveland.
1: I saw my first comedy show. There it was Paul Mooney when I was 15 years oh, old. Really? My okay. Mom, so that makes yeah, a lot of sense. My mom took me to see Paul Mooney. So yes, Culturally, Cleveland improv,
0: uh, a very strong cultural type of comedy, right? Paul Mooney. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, she was in the front row, not laughing at anything I did. She didn't know who John Madden was. And that was the the thing I was doing a ton of. She was just covering her mouth, like thinking I was terrible. And she wanted to see Angel Salazar. (laughs) That's who she came. That was her level of what she, Google it, everybody. Google him.
1: I know angels. I have a story off air about me and Angel Salazar. I
0: bet. Um, (laughs) So, and her, her favorite comedian is, uh, who's the guy who did the, uh, I can't believe I can't, a Greek guy. Um,
1: I I know him. Bullwinkly
0: voice guy. Uh, he does the Angelo, Angelo something. Nope. Not even close. One, uh, one name, uh, uh, it starts with a B, B uh, Batman. There we go. Uh, basil, basil, basil. I was gonna say okay. bagel, bagel, bagel is a Jewish comic uh, <laughs> who opens for basil. Who opens for basil, and then, then and then there's paprika. <laughs> I don't know what paprika would be, and I don't know how to slur that ethnicity. Um, uh, so uh, that she was in the front row. She didn't laugh at anything I did, but uh, something. Uh, she she she. It was twenty bucks to get in to see me, and she's like. This, that was a waste of money. And I said, but she still tells people that that's her bit. She does. And yes. I'm like, look around this house. That's the greatest $20 investment <laughs> in human history. Not to, not to just try and set, but it's, she does it to try and like bring me down and humble me. And yeah. I'm like that, no, 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 Let's just bring this. Room. So I, produ- I produced, I produced, I promoted the, these are all P words, but not the right one. Um, I proposed to my wife at the Columbus Funny Bone because I'm I am i am trying to do something special with my wife at every comedy club in Ohio. <laughs> so the Columbus Funny Bone, the guy who eventually was my best man, Scott Long, goes up, makes I fun know of Scott. Me. He, he makes fun of me on stage. Then I go back and make fun of him, and after making fun of him a couple times, he says I, and then I, I talk about my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And I said something about her. He goes, "If she's still so great, why don't you marry her?" And I'm like, "I don't even have a, a ring." And he goes, "Got it handled." He brings a ring up on the stage, and I said, well, I, "I guess I have to now." And the audience doesn't think it's real because they're looking at me, and <laughs> uh, they uh, they kind of get weird. I get down on one knee, and hit uh, her her best friend is sitting next to her and she's like, that's a Gino's box from the, the jewelry store that it was from. And it was real. And I proposed and then she went and threw up. Wow. Yeah. She, I, she got I, real nervous and she threw up and never told me. Yes. It's still, I guess I can go back now. I just, I, so you know, how did
1: it, if she didn't say yes, like how did that She dissolve
0: itself? Uh, Later, I said, was that a yes? She's like, yeah, but I had to throw up. I can't even kiss you. I was like, I don't care. It's fine. It's going to get worse than this. <laughs> so that was it. I, I proposed to her at the Columbus Funny Bone.
1: Wow. All right. Uh, good to see Ohio is so interwoven with your love life.
0: Yeah. I don't know about love life, but with my wife, yeah.
1: <laughs> like I said, I love Midwestern audiences, and apparently you love them enough to get married in front to of them. To marry
0: them. I marry... One per lifetime.
1: Now, was how many Jeff
0: Goblin. One per lifetime.
1: How many people have come out to your show like, "Oh, you got to see this, honey." He he proposes to his wife every show. Just wait. I,
0: I I did say something like that. This isn't how. And then I had to do a show after that, and like it was so weird. I'm like, I proposed to my wife in the last show, or my future wife in the next show. In the last show, and nobody believed me. They thought, <laughs> "Funny do some more Chris Farley."
1: Yeah, that was That's great. Do your show now though. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Frank, how do you, have you had a lot of issues and how do you deal with, uh, any kind of online haters or hate?
0: I used to look at that stuff quite a bit. Um, I used to look, the thing about the online stuff is I'm sure we'll get into this quite a bit. The good things tend to just fall off of you. Like raindrops on a on a windshield, they're they're treated specially. So the good things just you you don't really take them in. You see them hit, and then they just trickle away. The bad things are like the bugs when you're driving through North Carolina that sla- they <laughs> slap on the windshield, and you just you can't even windshield wiper them off because they sit there. And then sometimes there's truth to them, and you know that. At least I do in some of the things people say. You've been doing that impression forever. Every time I went on the Tonight Show with Leno, he would always right. say, "You gotta do some. You gotta do some John Madden. You gotta do some." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll do it." But then people all say, "All he does is John Madden." I'd be on there for ten minutes. I do thirty seconds of John Madden. They're like, "That's all he did." And the Tonight Show, they're like, we can't wait to have you back and saying this was the best one you've you've done. And I was known at the time as a person who didn't necessarily get ratings. I still think I'm kind of like this, but I'm a person who can hold ratings. Letterman and Leno used to both do the same thing. They'd put me on with a big star and say, we're going to get really great ratings, but we want to beat the other guys the whole show. So this is the perfect show for you, unless they were just lying to me to make me feel good about that. But if That's they're great. lying, if they're really lying to me, they'd have told me I get ratings. Right. <laughs> so uh, I've always been that kind. of I've always seen myself as that kind of person. Uh, so in terms, I don't even look at the online hate anymore. Really. Every once in a while, I get curious and I do see it. And I just, I don't reply anymore. I've taught and I say taught because of my own experience. I've run into a lot of people who fight back on everything terrible said to them. And I'm like, you can't win this. If you're, yeah. if you're on television, if you're in movies, if people perceive you to be making a lot of movie or have this fancy life, which isn't the truth all the time. People don't understand if you're on a sketch show, like when I was on Mad TV, the amount of money you make in a year is enough to live with somebody uh, and have a roommate and pay rent in Los Angeles. You're not, you're not a star. You're not a, you're not buying houses. And uh, most people have a used car on a, on a sketch show or their first show sitcoms. You can make a bunch more dramas, even more than that. And if sitcom goes for a long time, those are the people who are making hundreds of thousands an episode and million an episode and stuff like that. Um, So, I tend not to even look at it because I I realized that the stuff that people were saying that was nice just trickles off. And the stuff that I didn't like bothered me for a while. Even just that people have the gall and they're not even a real person. A lot of times they have a cartoon face. It's not even them. You then see their full picture and you're just going, then you look at some of their tweets and you're like, this person just says things to make people angry.
1: Right. You see that they've gone after a number of people just that day.
0: Right, they just live under a bridge. They're just constantly trolling and going after people to see if they can get a rise. And it's when I realized, I don't know. And sometimes I'll agree with the people if they if there is something I'll be like, I know. It's just I was trying to get attention, just like you're doing now. Let's call exactly. That's the problem I have with social media in general. I realized I was only saying angry things on social media to get tons of likes and um retweets because i could any sporting event because of people who knew me i could go on say snarky things and get two three four five hundred retweets especially during a sunday night football game or something like and i found that's what i was doing all the time i was just trying to build my twitter feed by being a jerk and it Hmm. it bled over into life and i was like saying mean things to people all the time or thinking them like i don't want to do this anymore so i really backed off of it and that's just the way more Twitter is. I've been. I need to get more into Instagram with the show and everything else I'm doing. I'm going to get more into the Instagram life, uh, to which I've heard is not as snarky and more. But it still feels like, hey, look at me all the time.
1: Very much so. I mean, Instagram is kind of. I've always had this theory, and I want to know your thoughts on it. I think for people that. Are not in entertainment, especially in the kind of entertainment that we are, where like literally people clap after we're done with our job. Frank, think about how crazy it is. People clap when you're done at
0: work. No, no, no. I so say everything I do. I'll take out the the trash here, and my wife just just the, gives a and, yeah, and she gets the kids. She's like, Joey, Juliet, get over here. Dad did something. <laughs> That we did I Yeah, I got I got a standing ovation the other day. For He's bringing in the recycling bin, unclogging a toilet.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I feel like other people don't get that, and I think that social media, when you start talking about likes and retweets, is the closest that people get to being applauded for. And I think sure when you when you have a nice dessert spread, or you know you you're an interior decorator, you went to the Niagara Falls or something, you take a picture. Likes are almost like a slow dopamine drip in terms of just you feeling like you've accomplished something and people acknowledging that.
0: I used to be the attention hog. We used to play sports and travel and play baseball games most of the the, the time is what we would do. Um, I was on a traveling baseball team. Pretty great player. AAU All-American twice. 19, What's up, ladies? 1988 and 92. 88, 14 and under national uh, Junior Olympic champions in Urbandale, Iowa. Fourth place in eighty or ninety-two Wisconsin All Stars. We did a great job. Um Ooh. yeah. I, I did anybody a, go I pro for your team? A couple guys went uh, to college, Division One. Some people played in the minor leagues. Um, I'm trying to think if anybody made the major league. That the older version of us actually, Craig Council was on the team. Oh, we, he uh playing. he. Yeah, one two Marlins. series. Yeah, I against my and, beloved Indians. Yeah, and uh, also one with the Diamondbacks. Yeah. So, uh, what where where were we going with that? Um, the social media aspect, right?
1: So, in, in terms of people clapping for you, and then, uh, so I think I think we got past that. And uh, you know, we're we're talking about your youth. Um,
0: you know, what's funny is because you're going to all this personal stuff, and after we did everything, I realized our whole talk was business. And I was like, I need to go back and do a personal one with you. And that was what was forefront uh, in the forefront on your interview of me. Did you do that because you felt mine was all that aspect of career or absolutely not? These are just things that,
1: that I'm interested in.
0: Okay. Cause I'm not interested in your personal yeah, why would you as be? a kid,
1: mm-hmm. as a child. Yeah, it's like we got it. You're black. You're oppressed you Keep going. <laughs>
0: we started. You, we started at college for you. You're starting. Well, I guess you're not. The, you're just going more personal stuff. Okay, so go ahead. All right.
1: Um, you said that you were a good baseball player. Great uh, baseball player. Great, unbelievable. Can't miss prospect.
0: Tore my ACL as a football player, though. I was a running back, and it. Well, what was the play? Uh sweep to the right. Uh pit, halfback pitch. I went sweeping right. Were you playing for the remember the Titans off Denzel <laughs> your was coach? A freshman team playing the sophomores. I was a middle linebacker on defense. Terrible. Awful. And that's you know what? That's major league baseball calling for me right now
1: that's it they're calling they're saying send the kid up he's ready
0: i'm so glad that happened because i looked at it and it was actually an important text during my interview of you (laughs) i'm like i hope there's a moment where you look away for something more important than this interview for yourself (laughs) so we're tied uh where were we i could i get off on so
1: you're you're telling me about the play that you tore your acl so i
0: ran to the i ran to the left I got hit up on the top right, bottom left. My just got smashed from both sides. Oh, I went down. Man. I remember my dad running down. The coaches didn't do anything. I was just laying there because I couldn't. I had that numb feeling in my leg. Yeah. And I went and um, went to the doctor. Ended up, I didn't get it fixed. I just got it scoped and still tried to play different oh, sports, no. but it, I can't bend it all the way. And then I was a catcher in baseball. And I would catch off kilter. So it was to one side that really got to my back and everything just kind of went down from there. And the comedy prevailed. But I, as a catcher, I used to sit behind the plate and just, I don't know if I do voices, but I would just make the umpires laugh and try to talk to the batters. And they would just get, they'd get so, it was like major league. They'd be looking, at really shit, shut up, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely I was messing with everybody all the time
1: so could you already do impressions at that age like what was your first impression that you were like I can do this person I
0: would do some I would watch in living color and I would do everything Damon Wayans would do I thought was the most brilliant thing in the world I still think he's a genius with the characters that in <laughs> <And> the ubiquities <laughs> of the situation <laughs> I love that character. Oh yeah, Oswald Bates. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yes. And and homie, everybody knew homie the clown. But to me, some of that other stuff, uh, the the homeless guy. My name is Anton. I'm a victim of society and an entertainer. (laughs) And then he pull out the pickle jar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's my bathroom. (laughs) So when people come over, they
1: won't steal your bathroom.
0: (laughs) I like Jim Carrey as well, but Damon Wayans made me made me laugh a lot. Uh, so those two guys were the ones that really stood out on that show. So I did do some impressions and characters. I would do impressions of friends. There's this guy Darren Barsh, who his nostrils always flared. He had the <laughs> he, he kind of he was this he, he was super tan white guy super tan like he we lived in Wisconsin but he looked like he was traveling to Florida on the weekends and he <laughs> would have the handheld comb and feather the hair while his nostrils flared that's so weird and he walked like i mean he just walked like he had this odd strut i don't i don't even know how to describe it other than primate like it was just he would just so weird right how he would do it and, uh, you know, I would just do the impression of him all the time and he didn't get it. He was a nice guy, but he didn't really get it. Uh, but he, he was one of those guys that really cared about his hair, right? He, he would change hairstyles and sometimes it'd be permed in the back and sometimes it'd be just feathered. But he always had the comb and guest jeans and a really nice shirt, a necklace, everything, which in, in might sound pretty normal to somebody or even dressed down to somebody uh, on the East coast. But in Wisconsin, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, that was pretty, he was pretty stylish, especially right. at the time that's 19 early, late eighties, early nineties. So right. that's th- have you, have numbers. you looked at his
1: Facebook? Did he keep that head of hair? Or did God take it from him?
0: Uh, I don't, I don't know. His dad had good hair, pretty good hair. So I don't, I'm not sure what his grandpa, I think that's where you get as your grandpa, but, he, I mean, he was a good guy. He was a nice guy. He was just easy. I just took the easy road. He was pretty easy to make fun of because he was just such a character. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, like a real life cartoon character. Right, but has no idea.
0: Hundred percent. And most people who are a character have no idea that they are a character. I had a boss who would do this all the time. For the people who aren't watching, he would push up his glasses, and you go, "Yeah, you know, somebody would fall." <laughs> It was like an indoor baseball, basketball place. Somebody would me and somebody finally be like, "Yeah, you know, I hope they don't sue us. Ah, yeah, maybe we ah, offer them a offer a free coke. Would you think they? Uh, yeah, you think they want a coke? Uh, I, think I think they want a lawyer. We haven't cleaned this floor in a month. Uh, that's that's awesome." Maybe yeah, that guy will show up on our podcast at some point. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was uh, wondering, uh, where'd you get those uh, fake glasses? Huh?
1: Mm-hmm. That, it, that's interesting because it, it led me to my next question, which was, what was your first job? Your first big boy job?
0: I used to work in high school. My dad, we, we ran baseball tournaments for a little bit. That wasn't. That wasn't. That was only like a couple times a year. We did the indoor baseball, softball, place basketball. Handed out tokens, made change, went clean stuff up. My brother was the best at just schmoozing the bosses, too, let them know he was always doing something. Right. So I I would just do stuff, and I was an okay (laughs) worker. wasn't a great worker, but I didn't tell people, hey, I'm going to go do this now. I would just go do it. My brother, Rico, would be like, yeah, I'm going to go just clean up some of this, and I'm going to do that and that. And when my third brother was hired, my other second brother, which is the third child, my brother Terry, who helps technically with the, the all this stuff, the boss said, "Yeah, is, uh, he asked Rico? Is uh, is Terry like uh, you as a worker or like your brother?" <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> "Like, come on, man! Uh, just because I'm not asking." Although we did do we had to do <laughs> birthday parties and oh, you do yeah. birthday parties for these kids, and the kids most of the time just terrible, just brutal and they didn't listen, and sometimes there would be seven, sometimes there'd be 11, you'd hope for a tip, but they wouldn't put on their uh, tips, uh, gratuities accepted, and people didn't know, and they'd ask you, and sometimes they'd ask some of the bosses or the managers there, and the managers would be like, nah, you don't have to, like, what are you doing? Oh, are they, God. You're killing me. Then they ended up get paying us like two extra dollars to do the parties, because it was so much more work than actually working there, which yeah. when I think back and realize the reality of it. You're paid to do a job. <laughs> it's yeah. nice of the guy to add anything else to it. And you can get a tip if you're good, even if they don't know it. He was, he was trying his best. It was a small business. You, you're, you're, your perception changes as you get older and realize as a teenager, you know, you're like, well, what's going on here, man. I don't want to I don't want to work. I want to do nothing and get paid this, not $2 more and have to work the whole time. So <laughs> It's yeah, uh, so that was that was that was a job. I worked at a golf course indoor. Uh, no, I worked at that's the indoor baseball softball place. I worked at a golf course on the grounds crew for a neighbor of mine who ran a Brookfield, um, uh, more, more, no, it wasn't more dads, it was a Brookfield. Uh, why can't I can't think of the name of it, it should be in my memory etched, but it was a, a country club. And we would we would get there five thirty in the morning, something like that, mow all the greens, mow fairways, uh clean the bathrooms and stuff like that. And then in the second half of the day would be about um, we would we would do more of just fixing things up, digging sand traps, all the all the fixing of the course after the mowing was done. So once you mowed, everybody could play on the fresh cut course. And then the second part of the day was fixing flower beds or doing odd jobs.
1: It sounds like that sounds like a, like it was a rigorous job that it kind of helped you to understand about responsibility. Cause I, I think jobs to start pre 6am jobs that you have to get up for and account for the night before. I feel like those have been some of giving me some of the most growth is because I've, I understand the, responsibility it takes to get up and and understand if you don't mow those those greens that people can't play
0: you have to understand i was 40 years old at the age of 12 i i've never i've never people i don't know if people know this about me i've never been drunk i've never been drunk in my entire i've had drinks little drinks and stuff but i it's all about control it's nothing other than that Mm -hmm. i just like to be in complete control myself never tried a drug never had any interest in it and Part of it was I always wanted to tell my kids you don't have to do that. That's how far ahead I was thinking in wow. high school. I was thinking about, I'll have kids someday. I want to tell them, you know, you're going to have faced face with choices. But I can tell you this. I was known by everybody. I was friends with everybody. And I've never done any of that stuff. So you don't have to. When you get older, whatever, you make your own choices. I'm just letting you know I was friends with everybody. It can be done. You will see how you end up making your choices. Now, my my wife the huge drunk um, <laughs> when she was younger, apparently. So she's, she's, uh, she's the other end of the spectrum, but
1: now, does she drink now? because you don't drink?
0: She didn't drink much for a while, but I think she's just started to get sick of me. So she's started. She's recently <laughs> gotten into, she's trying to get into wine and stuff like that. Not to boot, like completely booze up, but she'll have a little bit of a, of a drink here and there. It's, you know, I think my, I don't, my dad, my dad never drank. My parents never drank. My mom, I remember her telling me a story about how she started drinking something at the end, uh, end of every night to go to sleep. And she realized that was a problem. Alcoholism is huge in our, our family. Right. So, and my dad just never had a drink. And I always remember him having a beer and we're like, dad's having a beer. He goes, there's nothing wrong with a beer. This is the, also the same man. He used to go, there's nothing wrong with getting C's. C's are good. You know, so. <laughs> Oh your dad. He was he was, he also and I talked about this on stage the other night. What he's like it's so funny. I want to make a full bit out of it. But he's the type of guy who gives you his softball stats whenever you see him. <laughs> "How you doing, dad? 2 for 3, four double plays, Frank. <laughs> what age group's that in? 75 and under. What? How old are you? 76. You faked your birth certificate? What do you No, you could play if you're older. What why is it then under then? i meant older. What do you mean? Two for three, Frank. That's all that matters. Still going. <laughs> he tries to run, and his, his his knees are bad, so he doesn't even bend his knees, really. He just kind of waddles like he's got he spurs on. He walks briskly, on. yes. Well, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's uh, it's almost, but he's bow-legging, and he kind of waddles, like, it's just really fun, because his feet kind of go pretty fast. He was a minor league baseball player. He was, a, he was uh, in his younger days before I was born. So he he was an athlete and he was quick, but he never had any instruction when he was younger. Grew up in Elmwood Park, Illinois, and kind of just came up as a a kid who played local stuff and was a pretty good athlete. But if he'd had a, the training, might've been a, a little bit better. So uh, that's him, but that, that's that's where I'm coming from on that stuff.
1: Well, that's awesome. Like, So I, I would assume since you were a 40-year-old, 12-year-old, you've been a person that's always made you know, decisions with a clear head. Uh, would you say that there's any major regrets that you have this far after a successful career, successful family life? Is there one thing in your life? You, were you like, damn it, I should have invested in Google. Is there anything?
0: Well, there's plenty of things I've done in not only comedy, but entertainment. I've passed on a lot of things to spend time with my family. And I don't have any regret of that. So I don't want that to say. In terms of career things, I think I could have done a lot of other things. I'm actually glad that I, I chose, like the first time I was ever asked to be on The Tonight Show as a guest, not even as a standup comedian, was my daughter's birthday. And I said, I can't. It's my daughter's birthday and I'm in Cleveland that weekend. I, I wish I could, but I can't do it. And I always just figured, you know, it's something else will come along. And right. Most of the time it did. And when I was trying to do everything all the time, I was in a, you, you know what it's like being in this entertainment industry. And it's probably like this in a lot of businesses. When you're out there, you're just trying to get the next, even while you're on something, people are trying to get something else. They might be on a TV show, but they're also trying to be on a Netflix show. Because you can do that. You can be on both at the same time or be in a movie. And it just feels like when you're in L.A., you just feel people trying to... They're going from meeting to meeting to meeting, trying to get... And I just had to step away from that because I I just never felt great about it. I just felt like I can be happy doing what I'm doing and spending time with my family. I kind of choose my hours. So I I wouldn't call that a regret in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I... In terms of career, sure, but I I couldn't if I went away and I didn't spend enough time with my kids, that would be the the real regret, and I I do wish that I'd taken more chances. If there's one regret that I have in terms of comedy, and it it works for me and against me that people know me as the guy who's clean with all the comedy, but it's right. it's not even a hundred percent me because I am kind of. I can you know me from behind the scenes that we're kind of getting into that here where it's not just the easy I'm a lot edgier in person than I am on anything you have ever seen me do on television, really.
1: I'd agree with that.
0: And it's hard for people to see that, although I was I I hadn't been on stage for a couple of months really, other than going up on stage with Dana Carvey and doing Chop and broccoli and different voices with them like a few weeks ago, which to me is all I, I, like when I can do something like that. I'm like, this is surreal. I never believed yes. I'd be here, um, but I did. I, th- I mentioned Bill Cosby, and there's a joke I do. I'm trying to make a point. Ten years ago, if I'd have said the name Bill Cosby, everybody in this room would be like, "Ooh, I I hope he's gonna do Bill Cosby." And if I said Bill Cosby now, everybody in this room's like, "Oh, I hope he's not gonna do Bill Cosby." <laughs> but everybody like not everybody, but a ton of people started going, do it, do it, do Bill Cosby. It's like, really? That's that, that was something different for me. And it almost made me think, Hey, you know what? Maybe uh, and not that that's good or bad or, or anything just different. Cause my, my normal quote unquote audience probably wouldn't go for that. And I, I've, I've, I've been, I've, I've always wanted to have a, a more diverse audience Like because of the football stuff and the pregame, it's always it's my main group of people is always older uh, and people who watched the Fox NFL Sunday pregame. When I went to ESPN, it actually got to be uh, more people of color, more Hmm. age ranges, um, not necessarily more females, more women, but uh, it was a a more diverse I could just feel it when I started because some of the things I did at ESPN right away just hit hugely. The LeBron letter reading it, the Morgan with the Morgan Freeman voice. Right. And the thirty for thirty about Richard Sherman. So it was topics too that like hit the black community. I guess if that's I I, I always feel weird about saying things like that. I don't know if I should, but I just feel like I don't think I've ever said the black community before. <laughs> I was just trying to, I was trying to say that more black people started coming to my shows. By the uh,
1: way, just so we don't I don't want to get off on a tangent, but one of my best friends, uh, she's worked for comedy central for almost her whole life and, uh, love a lover dealer. And she, uh, she, her, both her parents are just two white people from Vermont. And she said, like when she got home from college, like 10, 15 years ago, her mom and her dad sat her down at the, at the kitchen table and said, um where exactly is the hip-hop community <laughs> they, they thought it like was, it was like,
0: chinatown
1: like it was a place to go to but she was like they were so serious and so sincere she like couldn't even like make fun she was just like went. my it's...
0: son my son does that like he would tell like you know where uh koreatown is and then the uh, little italian uh neighborhood it's right in between there that's where the hip-hop <laughs>
1: So you could miss it if you turn your head.
0: My my son tried to convince his grandma, my my mother-in-law, that he went to lunch with Kim Jong-un the other day. <laughs> and she's like, he keeps talking about this Kim young man. Do you know who he is? <laughs> he's messing with you. He's messing uh, with
1: you. a ball buster. Oh, he's brutal. I love it. He's brutal.
0: And that, he, was the, uh, that was one of the reasons I didn't swear and want to do anything that was swears. I didn't want to do it. Because of my kids, and now I just hear my kids talk like filthy. Like it's unbelievable <clears throat> because they're playing online video games and they're around their friends that all swear and I'm like it would have no effect on them if I had have set myself up as this person. But I you know what? Here's here's another thing that I think I made a good decision on this now, especially there was a show that somebody came to me, it was a serious show on Showtime or something like that, and it was a character that they wanted me to say the N-word. And it was wow. it was a and I I don't know if it ended up being in there, but it was a guy who said the N word. It was in the character. But I told my agent manager, "Go! I don't want to be the N word guy. I don't want to be the guy. I don't want anybody to have video of me saying this because oh, I think I know how terrible. Even if it is what it is, and it fits in the show, that was maybe eight years ago or something. I'm like, I can't. I don't. I'm not doing the audition. I'm like, I'm not even going to read this audition." I don't care what it is. It's, it's just wrong for somebody like, I just, I am out. And they're like, really? They, they really want to see you. I'm like, I really don't want to do it. I don't yeah. even be, it's just, it's okay. I have no problem. I understand that it's set in back in time, but uh, doesn't just not interested at all.
1: And so, I mean, think about how nervous you would be now. And somebody the, used
0: the- that in a political ad, even though I'm not running for office.
1: Right, or just somebody took that out of context. I mean, just airing things. I always said that comedians, we are the first to be attacked because anything that we say in, in like in context during a show, if you take it out of context and put it in print, it looks horrible. Well, remember,
0: remember, too, I'm the guy who did the Charles Barkley impression, whether right. I was white while doing it. I'm like, I can't. No way. I go, you add all this stuff together, and I, I – it's not, I don't want to be that. I can't. No, thank you. I appreciate them thinking of me, I guess, for this. <laughs> it was totally, it was like, it was a against type kind of character. And right. that's what they wanted me for because I was known as this nice guy. And they thought this is, I'm like, it's great. Can they do it without that? And it's like, it is it is what it is. And I was like, it's a big director. I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. I, I really appreciate it. But I, I just, no, not, not going to do it. And there there have been other reasons I haven't done other auditions too that weren't as, Uh, important or interesting or whatever that that because sometimes I'm just scared and don't even know like before I started taking acting classes I had no idea how to act for real and I thought I did kind of I I actually I don't really think I knew and that's why I didn't want to do any auditions then I started to learn about acting for real and doing auditions I'm like thank god I didn't do any of those auditions because I would have (laughs) been awful because I was doing everything wrong
1: yeah, there's, there's a way to audition for... I mean, I've only acted in one thing. I mean, the comics and actors are totally different until you take the classes and become an actor, which I, I am not.
0: You don't know. If you can learn to be yourself and they want you to play you, that's one thing. But it's another thing to try and be somebody else and just be natural. And lines that are already known. The thing about acting is you have to pretend like you're just coming up with the line right now. And the way we talk... The way people think acting is, is that you hang on a a certain word like it's almost like you're stuttering into a word. You don't do that. You you don't speak in full sentences. Most of the time we pause in odd places, like I just did there. It's that kind of stuff happens. Other and the other thing is you don't realize the words aren't always what you mean. Like you can really care about somebody and say I hate you and it means I love you so right That's it's interesting it's learning all that it's the subtext of whatever you're saying which can happen in a stand-up routine um, which I, I've never called a stand-up routine a stand-up routine you don't call them comedy skits no when they when people <laughs> in the black community are doing their comedy <laughs> skit routines <laughs> I'm just I'm coming up with Vocabularic improvisations that aren't quite me for real. (laughs) Like that one.
1: (laughs) I like the word "vocabulary." Ah, That's Stephen A. Smith coming through. (laughs) Vocabularic consultations. Can you tell me your worst audition?
0: The worst audition. Um...
1: Because it seems like you've gone, you're you the kind of person that goes into auditions pretty well prepared.
0: No, I was never prepared. That was the problem is I, I couldn't memorize stuff and I didn't. I would go in and just do impressions and I would always get offered deals like uh, all encompassing development deals to develop something for me because I'd go in and do a bunch of impressions and voices and just talk to network executives like they were just regular people, which very few people do. They get really nervous around them. Apparently I just go, Hey, what's up? How You're, you're the boss. Cool. And they're like, <laughs> they, they're like, you can be calm in this situation. Cause they're used to people just tensing up and this is their whole life. And I just, I, whatever. I, I've made so many people mad too. That it's what am I going to do? If you, right. you, you take me with what I am or just get rid of me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to reek of desperation here. I got really sick of auditions very early on because I would always go in and I'd see who else they were going to have in there. And I was like, you know, the third or fourth fat guy that (laughs) they, well, no, you're giving that to Jack Black. If he turns it down, uh, this, you know, somebody else's take. It's like when I first went to LA and would see Harlan Williams, Dane cook, Craig Anton, and three other guys that look like they are all brothers that they, yeah. they all look like they came from the the same uh, sperm and egg. That you're you're going. what well, this is like obviously a type. Why why? What's going on? Why am I even in this group? And then the, you're they, there
1: to shake it up.
0: Yeah, they, which is nothing other than they want space in between the guys that look the same. That's really right. all it is. Like so they can d- differentiate people a little bit more. Um, but I, I'm trying to think. Oh, it was a commercial audition, and it was just so because they wanted me to improvise for this computer audition right and i'm like and i've been told by other people who've done a lot of this is when i first started i've been told by a lot of people that they do improv and have you do that stuff at the commercials but then they just end up using it in the commercial. and not not, not you yeah right and i'm not writing your commercial for i'm going to do the lines you want i might add a little something to make it mine if you want that but I'm not just going to sit at a table and improvise a commercial. That means you haven't written the commercial. and That's exactly the kind of, what it is. And that's the kind of stuff that I wouldn't deal with. And, and I called my agent. I go, you know, I'm on a show right now. I don't need to be groveling to people. And I told them, I go, listen, I don't want to do this. I, I'm not an improv guy. I apologize. I'm in the wrong place. And I just said, thank you very much for having me. And I left and I got a call back for it. I didn't go, but they called me back after I said, I don't want to do this. Like, that's how messed up Hollywood is when I was there. And I I just learned. Another embarrassing one was probably I went in for some big movie, like a real movie, like a a serious kind of film. Didn't know what I was doing. I'm looking directly at the camera. You're supposed to look off to the side like you're talking to somebody and the camera's catching you like you're in the. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I did realize over time what how that works casting directors bring you in over and over and over and they kind of mold you and help you along the way they're almost like an extra acting coach and they know what the director's looking for and they help shape you and they want somebody they're bringing in to get it so they want you to do well they want anybody they bring in they want to do well they don't know but the agents would do this they're like they really want to see you i'd get there and they'd be like who are you like (laughs) what and i'd call my agents i'd be like why well they're like, they really wanted to see it. I go, they didn't know who I was. It was almost like, why are you here? Are you changing out the trash liner? <laughs> it's was like, you're lying. to. Don't lie to me. Because they knew I didn't want to go if they didn't really want to see me. Because I didn't know what I was doing. So that, that's, I do wish, here's, my, here's the regret in terms of that. I wish I'd taken acting classes earlier and learned to do that. Kind of stuff. I'd never been on stage doing a sketch before I was on a sketch TV show i have only wow. done stand-up. Wow. And so, only done stand-up for a couple of years, maybe three years, and I was on a TV show shooting and didn't know. I would do the impression, but i do mostly the voices, right? The, the It was just the voice. When I first started doing stand-up, it was just hitting a voice, whether it was a, a caricature voice or trying to nail it dead on. I didn't walk like the person. I didn't try to become everything that person is, and I had to learn to do that. And once I did, I got way better and more known for that. But at the beginning, it was just kind of doing voices. Interesting. I I got another bad uh, another one that um, was auditioning over at Nickelodeon for some type of cartoon work, and I was just reading it off the page. I just just terrible, no acting skill whatsoever. And the person like, but can you read it like you're you're actually. Doing it, I was like, I thought I was. I, I didn't. What does it sound like? She's like, it sounds like you're reading it. I go, I am reading it. I've only been in LA for a week, and I got all these meetings because I do some impressions. And I'm like, what are you looking for? And then what basically wants just decent acting. She was right. I was terrible. I mean, I'm not. I, I, I'm very honest about stuff. Like even where I am in career moments and, and times and I'm in a big transition period here myself trying to figure out how can I kind of reinvent myself and still do some of the same stuff, the same type of stuff I was doing. But I don't want to just be the impression guy. So right. it takes time and you have to build it and you have to get people to see you and and learn and get them to know that you can do other stuff. And that just doesn't happen like that. When Adam Sandler does like a semi-serious role in something, the first time he did people like, nah, no way. And now they start to go, he's actually pretty good in that. Jim Carrey too. When Jim Carrey first started doing serious roles, they're like, nah, I don't buy it. And then you get a couple more and he was such a big movie star at the time he started doing it. It's hard because people get something in their mind of what you are, who you are. And then you try to do something different, and they're like, eh, I don't see you being that guy. And I'm like, but I, why not? We're all actors. Well, you're the guy who does the voices. I'm like, well, I'm doing a one voice right now. And they're like, well, we just see you as somebody different.
1: Well, all right, Frank, I got one more question for you. Um, obviously, your kids are getting a little older. When your kids are out of the house, what then? And I think I I asked that as like all parents. I mean, I never saw a period where my kids would be old enough to be out of the house. And now I feel like I'm looking right at that. I mean, obviously I still have a young one, but I mean, would you say in six years, your both kids will be grown, uh, grown and gone.
0: Uh, daughter is in seventh grade. So yeah, five to six years. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't ever think that far. I've never thought that far. I've never, mm-hmm. I, I, when all I wanted to do in entertainment was be a guest on a talk show. I didn't want to host a talk show. I didn't want to be an actor. When I first started, I wanted to be a guest on a talk show. And I got that pretty early. And then I was kind of lost for goals. Cause I didn't know what I wanted. to do and then <laughs> oh, When I oh, no. in Yeah. Right. It's like, <laughs> I've, I've attained everything. I, and more than I thought I ever really would. I didn't know I'd really get there. Um, I'll probably do a podcast with them so I can talk to them some. Right. No, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I'll probably work some, sp- take some trips with my wife. We have three uh, tiny little dogs. Um, they'll still be around. And if we don't have the three, there'll be somebody else who comes in eventually, I think. We have a rotation. Uh, <laughs> sounds so bad, but it's kind of true. It right? really did. <laughs> it's true, though. Just they 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 uh, they're a part of our lives. Um, But I really, I, I, what will I do? Work some play some, I guess spend. I I, listen. I love my kids. I really, I really do. It sounds like I'm trying to convince myself, but (laughs) no, no, I do. But I, I look forward to them being on their own. Some, because then you feel like you've accomplished something with the kids, right? They, they're out doing something and it's like hey this is a this We've succeeded here um but I, I don't know i think it would just be working some trying to develop as a human being that's kind of where i'm at right now and the latest that i've been trying to do is just do a lot less judging of people i think uh, i try to understand where people are coming from which is a lot about what the podcast is uh so I'm just trying to take that and do that every day that we do these podcasts as well. It's all part of growing. I, but other than that, I, um, write a book. There we go. Yeah, but I, I, I don't really want to write a book. I'm just giving you something to. I know it's like you, end you, well, you.
1: You can always tell people I want to write a book, and then people will be like, "That's great," and then it ends that conversation. <laughs>
0: right. right. That's it's a good just way to lead, get out of anything. Yeah, that's just the lead-in, so.
1: Dude, well this was awesome, man. I know. It was yeah, I mean you're just uh you're you're a fascinating
0: guy. Local hero. Trying to get back in the national scene. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you got back on stage. everybody. Yeah, this I was was... I was
0: you know how that is? Like I know we're gonna go here in a second, but it's like you you actually start to enjoy it more when you're yeah. off stage for a while. When you're doing it every night and two and used to be three shows on a Saturday night and you didn't even remember if you've done a bit, because you've done oh, it twice or you don't know if you've done the it the third worst. show. Yeah. People are super drunk, so they don't even notice. <laughs> but it becomes monotonous. And when you just pick and choose your spots, it becomes a lot more fun. And you actually enjoy being up there. And that's that's where I'm at right now, picking and choosing. That's why I like the small venues, going to these little clubs. And yeah. I think eventually we'll have these podcasts going to some places probably starting in like Denver and Arizona and maybe L.A. A couple of different places that will be. But it's fun because it's new and different all the time. And that's the hard thing is you get on the road and you're looking at the same back of the room in a club four yeah. times in a row. Or you're traveling all day to get to the next venue. It's just cumbersome. It just takes a toll on you. So choosing little spurts to do stuff. I have this I have this bit about my my kids or at least this part's actually about my son mostly playing Fortnite. I hadn't done it for 2 months. It was a new bit and when I was going through it originally I would forget parts. I just flowed with it last night and I didn't even think to look about what it was going to be before. I couldn't remember the whole bit, but I just flowed cuz I went from taking from truth in real life and right. going and living it as I was doing it, which wasn't what my stand up used to be, but now my stand up is that if I can bring the real life and the emotion and the tie it has to me and how it actually makes me feel and how I think everybody else is feeling about it uh, in my world. That's what I'm going for. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to go in this podcast. I mean, I still have trouble on the podcast and even today editing myself and saying things cause I'm worried that it might come across wrong. Whereas the best comics just say it, I right. think. And you, then you end up in trouble sometimes and i'm not used to being in trouble even though i think a lot of people go get in trouble for ridiculous things they're saying something that's actually either true or trying to be helpful taken out of context like you said and then used against them and you're saying no i'm trying to do something helpful and but that's how that's how you get it doesn't matter how funny you are anymore right there's a lot of funny no. people it's how much controversy can you get on something. And sometimes it can get to be too much like a, a Kevin Hart or something like that, where you're in that position where you have the whole world and everybody wants to take you down. Yeah. Uh, uh, but all it can do is the, the controversial stuff. When you're in a mid level, it can bring you to the next level. Sometimes it'll bring you for the level for the the wrong thing. But then when you get out and talk about what really it's all about, Sometimes you end up becoming even bigger and bigger or you take the other road, right? You take the other road and you just become the person who's on the wrong side and you fight and you just become that fighter person. Even if you don't, you didn't 100% believe in the beginning. I'm talking about people who get to be the more like, I don't want to use the, the conservative voice, but you see some of the people on Twitter who become like the, the debaters of the right of the rights for the right side and you're going you don't some of the stuff you believe but some stuff you're going well you're just kind of saying this because it fits along with your character right and i've met people uh that are are further right people that are broadcasters like that they really believe this but some people you could tell you're going well you're just really trying to stir the pot that's all you're trying, to a, yeah. you're trying to instigate you don't believe this you're trying to instigate because you know it's your brand and it's going to help you more. So I don't ever want to be that. I, I And I think I would rather be the person who's known as the person who's listening. And if that can help me somewhere along the way in acting, I'm, I'm, I think if people get me and understand who I am, it helps to cast me as opposed to the guy who does the impressions. That'd be great too. But in, in terms of even this podcast, a lot of it's just therapy. And it's, it's fun therapy. It's more. I'd fun. agree with that. Yeah, it's it's way better than uh, the real deal.
1: Yeah, we have a nice life, man. And with that, let's sign off, man. I love you, brother.